In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. I can see the future. It's very deathy. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. In Paratopia, the future is always now. And time is money. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. Hey, every, hey, every, hey, everybody, you're listening to Paratopia on UPRN 105.3 New Orleans. <laughs> the only thing sillier than that is the fact that we're not actually on the air. Hey, Paratopia, it's Jeff Ritzman here. Another show. Another show, Jer. Wow. And tonight's guest is Miss Lane Crosby. She is an investigative medium who works on missing persons cases and with authors, historians, archaeologists, and paranormal investigators to help understand what history has not revealed. Until a few years ago, she worked in corporate America, juggling the work and mother dichotomy, when literally she woke up one morning talking to dead people, and they talked back. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Since then, she says her abilities have grown and she has given up the corporate world in order to answer her conscience. Her first book will be finished later this year and available in 2009. Lane earned an MBA in marketing from Georgia State University, a BA in economics from Agnes Scott College, and certificates from Georgia Institute of Technology in e-commerce, and the University of London International Law, and the University of Tours for International Finance i.e. read, she's no dummy. Uh, Lane works closely with our past guest and close friend of the show, Mr. Mark Nesbitt, on Ghost of Gettysburg fame. And they own and operate together the Ghost Channel, which is seen at www.ghostchannel.tv. And the duo hosts dot the popular... Com, dot net? What are we dot, talking about there? I, I'm looking www.ghostchannel.tv. Sorry. And the two of them also host the popular internet talk show Ghost Talkers, which is available as a download on the Ghost Channel and webcast at www.ghosttalkers.net. Lane Crosby, welcome to Paratopia. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's so nice to talk to you about Jeremy and Jeff. And thank you for the, the plug for Ghost Channel TV. Yeah. So, uh, so what's that all about, Lane? What do you, what do, you do on ghostchannel.tv? Oh gosh, what don't we do? We have um, we have comedies. We have um, what we call bloopers, bloopers, um, spoofs. We have um, documentaries. We mm. have um, feature-length films. It's really where producers of films can showcase their work oh, and nice. producers of um, historical and paranormal films. So a lot of a lot of producers who have who have things on TV right now, a lot of producers who would like to get um, their work 
on television. You know, it's very competitive out there. They yeah. put their work on the Ghost Channel. We have some really, really great programming. Um, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah. I, my, my favorite really is the sploopers. They're hysterical. But um, we, have, <laughs> <laughs> we also have investigations. A lot of investigative teams produce work just for the Ghost Channel. Um, we have um, one team, I know the Rip Files, they, they're signed a series of six investigations with us, including the Mud House and um, the Tilly Pierce House, that was the one that I did with them, and, and several, several others. They're, but we have, we have a number of teams. We have, gosh, I, I can't even tell you how many. We're just getting so, many, so much more programming, hundreds of, hundreds of shows on there now. Outstanding. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Everybody should check it out. Very nice. Once again, that's ghostchannel.tv. That's right. Uh, Celine, when, um, I, I mean, going back to the beginning, where did this all start for you? I mean, the, the bio basically reads that you just woke up one morning doing this, but I'm sure that it probably goes somewhat further back than that. Uh, so how, how did your life evolve into where it is now? Well, I, I did really literally wake up talking to dead people. Um, you know, my, my husband would argue with me and say that I was always somewhat psychic. I mean, when the phone rang, you know, and just knowing who was on it, which elevator door would open, that, that kind of thing. You know, and I think a lot of us who are sensitive um, have things that happen and have dreams that um, that something will happen in the dream and it will happen in real life. And I never really thought about it, but we moved from Atlanta um, up Maryland, just right outside of D.C., and it was a huge move for me because we lived in the city of Atlanta. It was loud. I worked in a high tower at a, um, a large corporation. Everything was noisy. I had a lot of family there. People were in and out of our house all the time. And when we came to when we came to Maryland, we're really kind of out with the cows. We're we're on the last metro stop for D.C. But it's out in the country compared to where we were before. And the first night we moved here, I, first of all, they wouldn't even deliver pizza this far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah, we can't have that. No. It was horrible. <laughs> so um, teary-eyed, I went to sleep, and um, I couldn't go to sleep. It was too noiseless. There was, there was, no, there was nothing. You couldn't hear anything but the crickets, you know. Right. Um, so we were... We're we're kind of a bit out from where we used to be. So um, what happened was is I, I think just being quiet, I was able to hear my own thoughts a little more. Um, we live on an old plantation. We don't live in an old plantation house. We live in a relatively new house built in 1983. We live on a golf course that was a dairy farm in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But this land was first. Um, built on in the mid-1700s, and there was a manor home right down the street from us, which I didn't know about, actually, when we moved in. But it's just three or four, you know, it's three doors down and then, you know, across the golf course a little ways. Right. Um, it's this beautiful old home. And what happened was I was unpacking the, our last box when we moved in, and I, I had noticed something kind of felt really different, and I told my husband, you know, Something feels different about the house. It didn't have, it didn't feel different when we moved in, but now that we've been here a few weeks, it just really feels odd to me. And he said, um, you know, if you don't want my parents to come and visit, you just, just tell me so. You know, but <laughs> don't make up this story about how things feel different. 
so um, his parents had obviously just come to visit, and um, so I kind of dropped it. I think that scared him a little bit, so I didn't say anything else, and um, that day as I was unpacking the last box, I actually pulled my back out, and I lay down in bed, and I went to sleep, and it was the middle of the day, and so I wasn't a real deep sleep, but I was able to hear a voice in my dreams. We all hear voices in our dreams. You know, we talk sure. in our dreams. Um, but this voice was louder than the other voices. It was so loud, it actually woke me up. And it said, I have a son about the same age as yours. And I was confused. And I said, no, he's my son. He's not yours. And the voice very sweetly said, I know he's your son. And it just hit me. Oh, I've made contact. This is, you know, this is a spirit. And as huh. I woke up more and I opened my eyes, I said, what is your name? And she said, Jeanette. And I saw her just briefly for about an eighth of a second. And she had beautiful dark skin and almond-shaped face and just a really lovely woman. Um, I was, it was very difficult for me to hear her talk, but I, I could if I concentrated a lot. Um, now it's easy because I do it all the time. Um, I have a lot of practice, but at the time I was just learning how to sort of access that part of my brain. Huh. And um, being in that altered state of consciousness when I was asleep showed me how to do that. And now that you know, when mediums do this all the time, they alter their state of consciousness you know, fairly easily and can, and it can do this within seconds. Wow. But at yeah. the time, it took a lot of concentration. And um, I, I told my husband, I said, you know, I, I really want to see if you can hear this. So he was not real happy about this, but, you know, he humored me. And I said, okay, let's let's sit here in in the room together, and I'm just going to listen. Let's be quiet for a little while. And so we were quiet, and I heard the same voice say about my husband, I touch his hair at night. He reminds me of the man I once loved. Huh. So I, I tell my husband, Chris, this, oh, she plays with your hair at night. You remind <laughs> her of her, of her old lover. <laughs> Well, this was not something to tell my husband. He's probably like, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very uncomfortable night. And the next morning, um, I was really more interested in, in finding out what was going on and what happened. Um, so I started looking on the Internet, and I tried to find a historical society to find out what happened. And I I, um, I decided just to get in the car. I just felt this urge to get in the car. And when I went to the end of the driveway, I felt that I should turn right. And it was it was Jeanette making me feel this way. Um, and I thought that that was probably the case at the time, and I kept going with it. And I drove down the street, which um, about a half, almost half a mile, and I reached the manor home on my right, on the same side of the street as we are. And it's a gorgeous, huge old mansion with, with pine trees lining up the driveway, like you would see in an old mansion. So I drove down the drive, and I parked in the parking lot, and I saw slave cabins behind the house. Oh. And it just, it gave me chills. And I said, is this where you once lived? And I heard, yes. Oh. And I, I ran up to, the, to the, the front doors of the mansion, and I started knocking on the doors. And I, I, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know, you know, I suspected it was a business because there was a parking lot there. And a man came to the door. And he happened to be the historian for the county. It happens to be the Department of Parks and Recreation and the historian and the archaeologist work there for our, our county. And I said, um, you know, what is this? 
and he he told me what it was. And I said, you know, you're you're really. I promise, I'm not crazy. I'm I'm really not crazy. We just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Something you don't tell people. You don't just <laughs> give them the option of thinking that you might be. <laughs> sure. It's like saying I'm not drunk today. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's been it's a that's a popular phrase on this show. You're in good company. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, but I, I've been hearing things, and I want to know what happened on my property before I lived here. And he pointed down the driveway, and he said, "Do you?" Did you see that van just leave? And I said, no. Um, he said, well, that was Fox TV. They were just filming here for their Halloween special. And um, we have ghosts here. Let me go get the archaeologist, and she'll tell you. So come on in the lobby. So I went in the lobby, and I was waiting there in the lobby for the archaeologist to come downstairs. And I looked at this gorgeous clock, and I was looking around um, at the beautiful things in the lobby. And there was a picture on the wall, an old picture obviously from the early 1800s, and as I looked at it, I saw my husband's face staring back at me. Hmm. It was indeed the family that had lived there, and the man had looked exactly like my husband. Wow. Well, I went on to find out Jeanette, as I, as I talked to Jeanette, um, I found out that she was a nanny to the children who lived in the mansion, and she was in love with William George Robertson, who lived in, in the mansion and was the... Um, the owner of all the slaves, and Jeanette was a slave. So I've, I've really learned a lot about her life, um, and that's part about, partly about what my book is about, um, how this happened to me, how this all came about, and what I've really learned in talking to people, and what I've learned about myself in talking to others, and what I've learned about myself through their stories and through helping them. Well, I guess the question has to be asked, did the historians at the house give you confirmation of the the existence of this woman uh, back in the day. Well, they said that they had. They told me they had seen a woman, and they told me what she looked like, and they told me they smelled chocolate cooking all the time. And they'd go in the kitchen, and there would be nothing there. And I would often smell chocolate in my house, like a chocolate cake cooking. And we compared notes, and we had um, some similar stories. But what I found out was looking in the courthouse records. Um, they had some records from the house. But I went to census records, and I was able to find her and a lot of the slaves that she told me about by name in the hmm. census records. So that was that was a great confirmation. Right. Because um, when when William George Robertson he died in 1860, he was um, late 1860. He was struck by lightning at the end of his driveway, and he didn't have a will. So they had to take inventory of everything on the property, and slaves were part of the property, so they took inventory of the slaves. So that's where we got a, a lot more information about what was there that I was able to confirm through records. Wow. Well, I, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but you're our first medium that we've ever had on this show. So this is like a completely new topic of conversation around here. Ah. Um, and and, and I'll, I have to be honest, Lane. You know, I'm I'm of the opinion that I'm very skeptical of most psychic people um, and, and the subject in general to a certain degree. But... When we had Mark on the show, <laughs> Mark's <laughs> wife, Carol, called you and said, hey, <laughs> why don't you uh, take a look in the house we're at? And she didn't tell you where we were, uh, anything about the house. Uh, as far as my wife told me, she told you absolutely nothing other than I'm right here, so just look for me. And uh, you picked out my son sitting in the corner in a green shirt. Uh, you picked out that the 
lady of the house was very enamored with flowers, which she was ridiculously enamored with flowers. Trust me, I had to mow them. Um, and uh, and you picked up a couple other things. I mean, you you absolutely knew the lay of at least the ground floor of the house, and had never been here. Uh, and Mark and his wife had never been here. So there's, I mean, for me that was pretty mind blowing. So, um, uh, what what when you do this? I mean, what is your perception of what you're seeing? I mean, are you just getting flashes, or are you? fully enveloped in a, in a visionary type of, of experience. I don't think a lot of people understand what you would see from your vantage point. Like, what do you do? How do you see it? Um, you know, can you can you describe at all uh, sure. that type of experience? Sure. Well, I'm a remote viewer, and this is something that I didn't really know a lot about, and it is something that I have done my whole life, but um, I I just accepted it, and I didn't realize that, other people didn't do it. I mean, it was it's so much a part of me. Like when I talk to somebody on the phone to make a reservation at a hotel, and then I'd get there, and then I'd see like three or four people behind the front desk. I would just say, "Oh, I talked to you on the phone," and tell the person you know who I was, and I would be able to pick out the person. And it never occurred to me that I was really seeing them on the phone. I mean, somewhere I knew it, but it was just this sort of intuitive thing that I accepted without saying, "Wow, I saw that on the phone." Um, so when I started, um, you know, when I met Mark and he told me about all of these psychic abilities that I was developing, um, I, I realized that I, I do so much remote viewing all the time and, um, I became more and more clairvoyant and started working on murder cases and that's where the remote viewing really came in handy and I started, I started working on that. Um, remote viewing is like a traveling clairvoyance. I can go back in time or forward and I can I can just see things. I can see events and sometimes I can hear see people there and I can hear them talking and see hear what they've said. Like I'll try to go back into history and and um Mark will take me to a place and he'll say what happened here and I'll say I don't know the names of the people but I'll tell you what conversation they had and what they're saying. And then he'll be able to tell me who they were by the conversation that I I tell him. Hmm. So um and you see this from a from like a third party perspective. I mean, is that kind of how it works, or are you seeing through somebody else's eyes that was there? Well, I I pretty much see it through a third party perspective. There have been there have been times. Um, the, the very first time I had a clairvoyant event that was a murder case, and and now you know I I, I work with missing persons networks, and I I just had one yesterday. Um, that ended up being a hit, and I, I see them. It, it's not such a shock to me now, but um, it's more common. But the first time that it happened, um, I really saw it as a third person, as if I was just a, an overlay, like right next to the person, huh. you know, like a varnish on the person almost. Right. Um, but then I saw it through her eyes, and then I moved out. So it was... Um, it's always been very interesting to me. It was it was a little girl who was buried alive in Florida, and it was the first time it ever happened to me. And um, it's it's heartbreaking. I haven't I have not talked to her father yet, but um, I do have a connection with her father because it is in my book, and I want to talk to him before I release the name of who this was. But um, I was knowing it was happening when it went on, but since it was the first time it ever happened to me, and I, I saw things as it was happening, I, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't trust that it was really happening. 
And I told my husband, as I, you know, I heard the story on TV, I stood up and I started seeing her, seeing sand falling down around me, seeing light, seeing her little, her little bitty arm as my own arm. And um, I was pulled up to see the whole scene, like pulled up out of the grave where she was buried and saw the whole scene and the layout of the land. And I sort of moved around and saw the person who did it. Um, but my husband told me, you know, they'll think you had a part to, to do with it. They won't answer the phone. They won't believe you. They've got so many people calling. So I didn't call. And that's one of the reasons that I do this now, that I work on murder cases, because, you know, I have a little girl that age, and it, it breaks my heart that I found out a month later that she was alive when I saw her. And um, I, I could have told them where where she was. Um, um, but, it, but I can move around um, within the vision and walk up and down the halls as I concentrate on that. But typically, if we're just having a conversation and you're telling me about a, a trip that you had to the beach or something, I might just see where you went to the beach. You know, it might okay. just be like a photograph. Right. Or right. might be flashes. Um, and sometimes it's, and this may be a little hard to explain, I'll see something play out like a crime, and it might have taken 10 minutes to actually commit but it right. might play out in my head in three seconds. And oh, I know okay. it's just 10 minutes, but I know it, it played out in three seconds, but I'll recognize the difference. Is that, hmm. does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the, the thing, the other thing that you had mentioned with, uh, with, uh, Lisa and Carol that night was that, um, there was a murder very close to the house, and you said something about it being fairly recent. Uh, and, it, and it was, actually. There was, oddly enough, a little girl was murdered, and her body was dumped uh, not too awfully far from the new house, uh, which is an exceedingly rare thing for this. I mean, it, it uprooted this entire community when that happened, because that's just not what happens around here. Um uh, but apparently it was some uh it was a a a mother uh with the daughter and the boyfriend actually i don't know more or less was probably on drugs or something uh and they didn't even live in the area but he drove back this area and dumped her uh so that's more than likely which we didn't realize probably till the next day uh what you may have been talking about uh, but I can tell you that the grumpy old man on the stairs last night was pretty damn active. So, oh, really? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I haven't even talked to Jeremy about this because uh, I just literally walked in the door from work. But, uh, yeah, he sighs a lot. He really tends to clear his throat and sighs like, <sighs> you know, like a lot. And I'm like, okay, get off my stairs. Um uh, <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, so I, I didn't, truthfully, I didn't entertain a whole lot about this subject until, um, until that happened. And that really gave me cause to think a little bit about it. I know remote viewing is somehow a lot more accepted by a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've actually tried that myself, but the only thing I got was, um, having my wife sit on the couch and telling her to think of someplace really hard for about, you know, 20 seconds and then i'd just sit back close my eyes and whatever hit me i'd open my mouth and tell her and i only got colors like blue like a royal blue gray sandstone uh lots of crowds and and pretty gardens and she said unbelievable and i was like what is it and she says i was thinking of cinderella's castle at disneyland 
And so that was, I thought, really kind of wild. But I, you know, I didn't get Cinderella's Castle. You know, I just got texture and color and a little bit of environment. So I was always curious, like someone who's really adept at that, it is a fully immersive type of thing then, I guess. I mean, for you, I, I would I would assume it probably definitely is immersive like that. It is. And, it, you know, and I, I didn't realize it when it was, I was just, it was, you know, coming to me as part of my life, you know, growing mm-hmm. up when I would just know things. But now that I use it, um, I, you know, there are many books written on it. And the government uses remote viewing as a tool to spy. Mm-hmm. And um, they say that we can access this through intention. Now, I think that my guides give me a lot of information. Um, maybe I get it through through my desire to get the information and some of it. But um, I've learned that, for example, when Mark took me to Chancellorsville, he said, where are you standing? And I'm like, in the middle of a, a, you know, I had to go back through time and through the time periods and said, okay, now I'm in the war and I'm, all the people are coming from this direction and they're everywhere. And he's like, how many? And I said, I don't know. And I said, wait a minute. So I pulled myself up and just in my mind took an aerial view and it looked like the Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta where there were 50,000 people, you know, mm-hmm. that many people. So, um, that's one tool I use. If I can't get around, if it's in a murder situation, I can't get around um, or walk around into another room, I'll pull myself up and try to look down at the layout of the house. Well, for your example, in your house, what I did was um, I started with a banister. Right. And it all sort of, um, I, I sort of felt like that that was, I don't know if that was a central part of the house or it's certainly a central part where a lot of people come up and down and you, you do have a, you know, a spirit on that staircase that, is there a lot coming up and down, and demand is there. Um, so it all sort of circled around that and then pulled outward into the room with, um, you know, with the chair and the other, and your friend and Carolyn, right. and everybody. Hmm. So it grew out uh, of that. I sort of went down a hall. Sort of. How often do you feel that, um, or I guess I should ask, can you recognize when you're in a spot that you have a certain amount of just cultural contamination at play with what you're seeing or not seeing. I mean, is there, I mean, how often has someone taken you to um, a location that doesn't look to be from any particular time period and boom, you just get something that you really wonder how accurate it is or, you know, if it's in your head, it's out your mouth as, as I gathered the way you work now is that uh, anything that, that might come up, you're going to say, this is what I'm getting. Right. Um, so is, but do you ever have a, a place that may remind you subtly of somewhere else where you're getting this kind of contamination from some other part of, of your mindset that, uh, that tends to interfere with that or not? Um, well, I, I used to fear that. Um, and now I've learned to just, just go with it and say, it. I think sometimes when something happened there, I'll be reminded of something else. Like if it was um, if it was a cemetery, I might be shown a, a tombstone somewhere else to say, "Hey, you know, this is a cemetery." Um, if I'm just not getting the picture of what it was, and I'm trying to figure out for somebody what was there before, mm-hmm. um, so it, it comes in different ways. Now, where there was a lot of, I guess you might say, contamination, a lot of a lot of energy. I guess the hardest place I've ever been to figure out was Jamestown. 
Uh. A stood in the middle of Jamestown because there are so many layers there. Um, we're talking about, you know, the settlers that came in 1607. And I was there working with Mark and, and the historian there um, trying to figure out who this body was and why it was built outside of um, the fort area. And um, the, the, civil, the Civil War was fought there. I mean, right on top of it, and nobody knew. So I was getting that. And then you had hundreds and hundreds of years of Native Americans there, so I was getting that. And I was trying to shuffle between all those time periods. And finally, um, I, I went back a couple days later, and I, I talked to some spirits, and I said, hey, can you, can you go get me some other spirits who were here? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like a couple days later, and they kind of gave me the rundown of everything that happened. And it's, I just had to sit there for a couple of hours and sift through it and let just let my guides play through what happened. Because a lot of times um, I'll see it from you know, in chronological order. But sometimes I'll go right in and, um, like, especially if I'm working on a murder case, you know, I might just see the murder right where it happened because that's where the most energy is. I get, a lot of times it just depends on what they're going to give me, and that's why I think my guides give it to me. And, and, or maybe, it's, maybe it is my intention. Huh. Because um, a lot of it, you know, if I'm doing work with historians, it comes chronologically. And like I said, if I'm doing work on um, with a murder case or something, I might pick up that. But then again, I think anybody would pick up that because if somebody's been murdered there, that's a pretty strong energy. Sure. Yeah. Up on because I'm a physical empath, so if I get there, I'm going to feel it. You know, yeah. but um, I can pretty much remote view, and I like to remote view before I go because I can, I can get a lot of information that way that I may not get when I'm there, and that's just because I am so much of a physical empath. If somebody has died in a location, I'm going to feel their pain, and I'm going to get all sad, and I'm I'm probably going to cry, huh. and. Um, when all that emotion hits me, it's hard to be absorbing everything else that happened in the layers of time. Right, o- overlapping and and kind of overwhelming. I'm sure at that point. Um, how, how does uh, well? I mean, how do you phrase this question? With our typical scenario of, I guess, what a lot of people think is that when you're dead, you're either dead or you leave to go to some other dimension or some other thing, which some people call heaven, some call hell, who knows what it is. Uh, the, the, the spirits that you're talking to, do you ever ask them, where are you? Oh, certainly. Well, you know, I, I can tell by the way they're communicating with me, whether they're in this dimension or whether mm-hmm. I'm, you know, reaching out further, looking somewhere else. Um, if they're here, they're, if they're physically in this dimension, the easiest way for energy to travel is in the form of an orb. That's why you get orbs in pictures if you take several pictures. And sometimes it's dust, but sometimes, you know, you'll get a, a white circle that might show up. Um, and that is the energy of our soul. And that's how it, you know, manifests on film sometimes because it vibrates in and out. And if they're here in this dimension, I'll be able to have a conversation with them back and forth and hear words. Um, that'll be pretty easy, but if sometimes if somebody's grandmother's around them or grandfather, and I, I might um, just get information from them. And this is this is a little bit different because it feels like somebody stuck a flash drive in me and booted me up with knowledge. Mm. Because um, 
I could read everything that they're telling me, and it might take me 20 minutes to read it and take it in or to, to hear it. It might the story that they're they're telling me might take many many minutes, and then I'd have to hear it and figure it out. But I'm not getting it like that. I'm just getting it as pure knowledge. All of a sudden, boom, I know. And huh. um, if I explain it to you, it's going to take me longer to explain to you than it took <laughs> me to just get it. You know? Right. 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 <laughs> and that's and that's what they do a lot of times. They just give me this knowing, this information hmm. about people. And um, it, it, and it's very odd because I'm not hearing any words. It's just all of a sudden immediate thought, knowing. And I get it. Pardon me. Well, I, I say immediate, like knowing, um, right. Right. you know, which I've kind of talked about before on this show. Um, well, before I turn this line of questioning over to Jeremy, I got one more for you. Uh, and this is probably a little weird, although we're all space cadets. You have to make the best of it, as they say. Um, when you or have you ever been on a murder case or investigating a house that's allegedly haunted or anything like that and seen beings that do not appear to be human? Um, like aliens? Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> I I mean, I have to ask that question because I, you know, so you hear so many crossovers between all of the paranormal uh, disciplines, if you can call them that, uh, that, uh, that, that some psychic people are able to see beings that don't appear to them to be human people. Um uh, then again, you hear different snippets here and there that uh, that there are entities that have never been human. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm curious, like how all of that seems to play out for you. Have you ever, you know, been in a place and said, "What the hell is that?" Uh, you know, just out of the corner of your eye, there's somebody else there that doesn't appear to be involved in the case that you're doing, or involved with the haunting of a house, or a spirit even just something that's so completely foreign to what you're looking at as far as your environment that you think you don't know what that was or uh that it could be you you would perceive this as some sort of uh quote unquote alien being of some sort well yeah, there there have been lots of things that I haven't quite been able to put my my finger on um working on the murder cases i I do come in contact with what I call would be non-human entities on the spectrum of malevolence. Um, they may be elementals um, or they may be demonic. And, and I do come across that. I, I never, I, I don't really have come across that unless I'm working on a murder case. And it's not just like a man gets mad and kills his wife. Because right. I don't ever have to deal with that. Then It's when there is a lot of drugs and there are a lot of people involved and it's a big undercover mystery. That's when this kind of thing is going on. But um, but that's different, I think, than, than what you're talking about. And there have been there have been times when there have been other spirits there that haven't been part of that place in time, and I've been able to communicate with them and say, hey, were you here when this happened? And they can tell me the story. But then there have been times when there's been an energy there, and um, I don't see it has any that it has any form. I just see the energy of it. And um, it won't communicate back with me. So I don't know if it's a person who's not talking to me or what kind of entity it is that's not talking to me. Um, sometimes I get mental pictures from things um, that I just can't explain. Um, there was this 
one entity, they kept trying to show themselves to me, and it was this kind of really creepy, odd, non-human form, and then it was a woman. And I, I, I surmised that maybe he wanted me to think it was a woman, but I was seeing it as it really, as it really was. But I wasn't physically seeing it in the room. I was seeing it in my mind's eye. Right. So, um, you know, I, I don't really know, and I, and I don't know how to explain those things, um, but I do know that I went with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And I don't know if you're familiar with Rosemary, but she's a friend of mine who has written oh, so many books on witches and ghosts and spirits and I think even um, UFOs. Uh-huh. And um, we were on one investigation together where I, I felt something, and I couldn't, it wouldn't communicate with me. I couldn't tell what it was. And she felt that it was something alien in form, that it was attracted to the place because there were so many human spirits there. Huh. Now, now, you know, I don't, I don't know. All, huh. the, the closest I am is that there's things there sometimes that I feel that they won't communicate with me what they are. And, um, you know, it's not, if I spend long enough and work with my guides, I could probably determine that. But usually it's they're on the periphery and I'm trying to do something else with my guides. Curious. So. Jeremy? Yes, where to begin? Um, well, let me ask you just sort of a basic question. Do you have any clue what your your um, uh, positive to negative hit ratio would be? I mean, is it always 100% accurate? Are you ever wrong? Um, that is a really good question because <laughs> my answer is, um, in a way, in a way, I think we can say we're 100% right because what I get, it may not always be correct, but I'm putting it through my human prism, right? And I'm, I'm trying to translate what I get in the most non-judgmental way that I possibly can. So if I hear it, or I hear it said, and I repeat it, and it's just that easy, it's auditory, then it's 100% what I heard. Now, whether the spirit who gave it to me knew what he was talking about or not, you know, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. That could be totally inaccurate. But I'm just, I'm, I feel like my job is not to necessarily, um, it, it's to validate what I'm hearing and to pass through information. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, um, and does that go for remote viewing as well? Um. Oh, you mean like a accuracy of remote viewing? Well, in that case, there is something called refraction that you get remote viewing. And I used to get it all the time where I would see the layout of the house and it would be like um, a negative. I would get it totally backwards. And, and, and that's common, where the kitchen would be on the left instead of the right, for example. But I would see everything. I'd see the wood paneling and I'd see where the TV was, but I would just flip-flop the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And I used to get that more, and I'm not getting that more so much anymore but i might see something like um i was working on a case a couple of weeks ago and I, I drew a picture of what it was and i said there is something here that holds water all i knew was that it held water and it was a round thing and i thought it was a water tower it happened to be a dam and a lake a big lake but i couldn't see it to scale so i didn't know that it was a big huge round lake all i knew it was round and it held water so in, in that in that kind of way, I just try to pass on, you know, the minimal amount of information that I can. Because if I had said it's a water tower and made that assumption, then I would have been totally wrong. Mm-hmm. But what I was really getting was that it 
you know, something round that held water, which I found out it was a dam, so that was true. Um, but there are times when, you know, I might hear it wrong or I'm translating it wrong, like I get a knowledge or a feeling and I'm reminded of something else or a time when I had, when I did something and my guides are trying to relate it to something in my life so that I can figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. for example. Are, so, are, are there times of the day or even during the year that, uh, that your abilities are stronger or weaker? Um, it used to be, that used to be the case, but now I do this so much, it's, it's pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. consistent. And when this first started happening for you, what was your religious background before, and, and did it change at all? No, it, it hasn't changed at all. I'm Christian, I'm Methodist, and, um, no, it, it doesn't, it hasn't changed, you know, and, and people talk about having faith in God, and I've always had faith in God, but now it's about more than faith. I have the experience because, you know, I, I do, I have seen the dark side because the murder cases I've worked on. I have actually um, worked with Patty Wilson, who is, um, works with John Zappas, is an, is an exorcist. I have, I have seen the dark side. I've worked on an exorcism. I've seen um, evil appear and materialize in front of me as well as angels come. And um, if anybody had told me that, I few years ago, I would have said, they are crazy. They're nuts. I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> well, how literally do you take it that you see angels? In other words, if a Buddhist were to wake up one day and be psychic uh, and they saw Buddhist imagery, they would swear that Buddhism was real. So how does that factor in? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure it's not. I mean, I, I think that whether we call God, God or Allah or Yahweh, there's there's one God. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think there are angels in all these you know, there's angels in Buddhism, there's angels in, um, you know, um, Judaism, of course. Now, did you go back and remote view uh, Jesus at all? <laughs> or any sort of giant historical uh, event? Wow, I need to do that. I did 9-11, which is <laughs> kind of sad that I'm, I was trying to help souls remotely. Um, no, I need to go do that. I Actually, I tried to do... Um, one with Alexander the Great in the old library. So um, I did go back and look at the library in Alexandria. Hmm. And, and what was that like? Um, it was really interesting. It was really interesting what I saw of the, the huge open windows um, in the library. So I don't really know how it was built, but um, I know it was, it was massive and huge and stone, and I was kind of surprised, you know. Anyway. I have one, I guess, sort of gripe, and I don't know that it's even something you can answer, but it's just when we talk about, you know, places that are haunted, or you say Jamestown, you know, all these various overlays, well, the Earth has been around for quite a while, and I I don't understand why there are some places that have such huge amount of overlays and not others, or why, like, you know, ghosts of dinosaurs don't appear, but ghosts of your pet will um, I mean, have you ever seen any Ice Age creatures or dinosaur-type things in any of your dealings, or is it always, like, something from, say, the 1800s on or the 1600s on? Well, I, I think um, there, there are two answers to that. And, and no, I, I really haven't because, uh, well, I was from Georgia, so, you know, not, not many Ice Age creatures down there, and now I live in Maryland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, basically what's all around me was um, soldiers. And the wars, 
Um, now, I have a friend who's a medium who has seen a lot of Romans um, and a lot of Greeks when she lived overseas in Italy, you know, from ancient times. And she used to see them um, walking about knee-high because the street was about two feet lower during that day. Mm-hmm. And she figured that out later because she just saw their knees walking down the street, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she used to see, see a lot of those. Um, and I've heard of, you know, seeing people from thousands of years ago on old battlefields. But I, I think that part of it is that maybe maybe dinosaurs and animals may be on a different frequency, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even spirits that I talk to are on different frequencies, and some just I'm able to pick up on much more easily than others. And a lot of times I have to touch them to tune in. It's like tuning in a radio dial. I'm hearing a lot of people at one time as if you walk in a crowded room, and then you focus on one person and watch their lips, and you can hear them, you know, or you get in their space where you can hear them better. And that, that's kind of the way it is with me. And so um, it, may, it may be that. It may be what I'm open to more mm-hmm. because I'm interested. I'm, you know, in the American history a lot. Um, and I, I also think that one thing that Mark Nesbitt says is that there is um, an amazing amount of rock, I think it's slate, under Gettysburg. And there's so many stories about soldiers in Gettysburg. And there's so many hauntings in Gettysburg. And I think that this rock holds in the energy of the trauma that happened there, of the 50,000 who were dead and wounded there. Hmm. So um, that well, could be one reason. Let me ask you this then. It's sort of about the Roman soldier thing or, or tying it into that. If the landscape where you are uh, has changed, then will you see ghosts walking uh, around where they would have been then, or is it spatially the same as it is now all the time? Um, well, it's changed somewhat on the golf course because they've, you know, redone the dairy farm into the golf course. Um, I... I don't actually, if I were to, the way I see them, I mean, I can remote view them and look back into time and see them that way, or I usually see them in my mind's eye. So I don't, occasionally, I'll say occasionally, probably three or four times a month do I really see an apparition. And that's because um, I'm really altered. I'm very tired, I'm sleepy, or I'm in a really deep meditation. Um, And that's, that's when I actually see them physically in the room. Most of the time, I see them in my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't typically see them like that. But when I do see them physically, they're, you know, walking around on top of the ground because, you know, the ground wouldn't have changed but a few inches since these people were alive. Mm-hmm. But, and have they given you any um, sort of insight into what happens at death, you know, what these various levels are? Oh, that's right. I was going to, I was going to talk about that. Um, well, you were talking about where we go and, and so forth and what I've learned. Um, well, I, I believe it all depends on our, our view. Um, there's a really good book by Elsa Barker. She was a medium. She didn't know she was a medium. She was kind of like me. She was oblivious to the fact. And then um, a man died who was an acquaintance of hers, and he took over her hand and started automatic writing, um, which is not what happened to me, but you know, the fact that she sort of happened overnight to her is, is very much the same. And she ended up writing three books, and they're free downloads. I actually have them on my, my website, Investigative Medium, or LaneCrosby.com, under resources. And they tell a lot about life on the other side. And the way I look at it is um, a lot of us believe a lie. We 
think that we come into this world in our physical bodies, and when we die, we go to heaven. We become spirits. But the reality of it is that we've always been spiritual beings, and we just come here for the physical existence in this world. And it's like a university here. And when we die, we go back to where we came from. We go back into the spirit world. And if we realize that, the transition is so much easier. Um, a lot of people hang on to the material world when they die. A lot of people don't know that they've died. You know, it's a shock to them. And when they know they've died, they may cross over you know, right away. It's no problem for them. Um, some people are just can't leave their stuff. You know, they don't want to leave their house. They don't want to leave their things. Um, I find that those who cross, cross over are linked to us through love. And those who are here also love us, too, who may, who may not have crossed over. They may, they may stay here because everyone that they know is still here. The spirits in my house, um, the spirits of the slaves, they said everybody they know who they grew up with is still here. So why would they leave? Hmm. Um, but um, that's another reason. So there's several, there are lots of different reasons literally why they say, but I believe it's because of that one philosophy that is a little different. When we accept that we're spiritual beings, it's so much easier to go and to cross back over and to go into that dimension, which we call heaven. Um, my parents are both deceased, and my daughter is an amazing little medium, and she sees spirits full-bodied everywhere all the time. Um, unlike me, she doesn't have to be very tired to see them. And she saw my mother one night, and my mother sat on the bed, and um, I was telling her what my mother was saying, and we were talking to her. And um, I asked my mother what it was like, and I was, I'm very interested in the time-space continuum. Are there, are there parallel universes? Um, have things, are things happening at the same time in different places? And I said, you know, is, can we go back in time? And what my mother said was that what has happened before is merely a reflection. That's how she knows what's happened. She knows what happened to me when she wasn't around because the past is a reflection to her. And she said, the future just hasn't happened yet. You can still change it. And she also said um, she's been in the dimension of heaven and then she's been in the dimension of earth. And I asked her if there were several dimensions of heaven because I always say there are many dimensions and there are many dimensions of heaven, but she calls them levels, levels that you can work through. And I've heard that from a lot of people. And um, the book The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold, um, a wonderful book. They're just making it into a movie. talks about a young girl who was murdered, and she went through a trauma. So she had to go through different levels of heaven. I've, I've talked to spirits, one spirit in particular at the Daniel Lady Farm who died, who was Catholic. So he put it in terms that he understood when he explained to me that he went to purgatory and purgatory was a hospital where he had to get well in his mind because of the trauma that had happened, the things that he'd seen out on the battlefield. And once he was there for a while, he moved, he moved on into heaven and that he was now with his wife in heaven and everything was fine, but he had to take that step through purgatory. Um, like I said, that's, that's what he called it, but I would call it one of the levels of heaven that he's worked through. So if, you know, kids are die at birth and, you know, you can go down the list of sort of short-lived lives, tragic lives, what would they be learning? 
mean, what would be the point of being born into a world to immediately be killed? Well, I, I think it depends on what that soul wanted. I think that um, we we make choices when we come into this world, and the soul wants to experience for some reason or another. I know that um, I met the director of the Missing Persons Network that I work with now. Um, she she came to an event where I was, and immediately, and I don't usually go up to people and say anything to them because. I feel like they may not be accepting of it. They may not want it. I usually keep my mouth shut. But it was an overwhelming um, feeling that I had to tell her that there was uh, a girl who had died as a teenager in a car wreck by a drunk driver, and she was with them. And um, her name was Barbara and what she had to say. And her eyes got bigger and bigger, and she said, well, um, that that was her daughter's aunt, so it was her husband's sister. And I said, what Barbara wants you to know, and this happened 20 years ago, so the woman would be in her 40s now, but she was, to me, she looked 18. I said, she wants you to know that she died, but she's doing much more on the other side than she could ever do here. And she wants you to know that, and that, that she is happy, and this is the way it was supposed to be. And I said, finally, after I gave her the message, I said, what, what am I telling you? You know, what is she talking about? And she said, well, she died by a drunk driver, and she was a senior in high school, and um, because of her, Mothers Against Drunk Driving was started in the state of Maryland, and we're just happy we've all worked for the cause, and thousands of lives have been saved, and this wouldn't have happened if she hadn't died, and, you know, her mother hadn't Mm-hmm. Got and, and done this. So um, that is one example of a spirit telling me right there. Hmm. And you said that you had gone back and, and looked at nine eleven to help those souls. What was that about? What What did you do? Well, you know, I just have a hard time um, doing anything horrible. But I I just picked one place. And I, I haven't been there. I haven't been to the Twin Towers um, after or before um, the that it's a horrible day um but i i see one place where i am and it's sort of like a courtyard and where the towers were and i see the towers and they're just souls there and it's it's hard to breathe it's just thick with energy and i just honestly i just pray for them and i ask god please open the door into heaven and that angels will come and help facilitate their crossing into heaven because it works when i'm physically in a location and somebody wants to go home into heaven um, God opens that door, and relatives come through, and they go through the white light. And um, we can, if you have a, a, a gauge, an EMS meter, you can see the energy you know, pulsate. We, we've seen it on video where everything blurs at the moment they actually cross over. Um, and, and you can feel it standing there, these um, people crossing over and going to heaven and, and being happy again. So um, since I don't really... In some in some ways, in many ways, there's no such thing as time and space, and I, I I keep saying that. Of course, there is in the physical world, but if this can happen right here through prayer, it can happen somewhere else where I'm not. If I can see another location and go back in time, then certainly I can pray for something here because prayer works, mm-hmm. and it'll happen. So I just trust that it's working, and then I keep trying to pray for those souls and. Hopefully, eventually, you know, they'll all be able to cross over. And what about these sort of uh, peripheral ideas, uh, such as psychic attacks, or um, you know, people who can 
shapeshift or go out of their bodies um, for bad purposes. Do you experience any of that? Does anyone ever psychically attack you? Other uh, living humans? If, if they have, I don't know it. You know, maybe in a dream or something I might, you know... I, I do not doubt that this happens. I know a lot of research has been done. Rosemary Guiley has done research um, on this and on what she calls psychic vampires also, but... Um, I have a, a pretty thick shield around me. I, I pray all the time, and um, I keep a lot of white light and good energy around me, <laughs> so that so that this type of thing can't happen. Um, but I, I don't doubt that it could. And there was another part to your question. I'm sorry that. Oh no, that was it. I just want to know if you uh, thought that there was anything to that those things. You know, I, I don't. Doubt, I'm really open to it, especially now since. I didn't think any of this kind of stuff could happen to me, and all of a sudden it's it's happening, and right. you know I can see in people's homes <laughs> and things. <laughs> uh, well, can we do something like that now? Is it possible to do, or is that putting you on the spot too much? Oh, gee, I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it wasn't taped, it might be <laughs> <laughs> might be a little a little easier. <laughs> if it was live, what do you mean? No, I said. Oh, uh, I said if it was. No, no, no. I mean if it was. Um, if I wasn't on the air. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Just put me on the spot. I'm nervous about that. I don't know why. I shouldn't be. I do it all the time in front of crowds. But <laughs> yeah, come on. You solve missing persons cases. Uh, so is that a no? <laughs> <laughs> well, um... What? You want to hang up for ten minutes? No, I, I have a dog walking around me in circles, and I have the kids clamoring in the other room. And I'm, <laughs> Crap. <laughs> I'm nervous. Usually, usually I'm not nervous. I just say what I, I say, what I get, and that's it. <laughs> hmm. Oh, um, <laughs> one of you have a one of you. Who? Which one of you has the mug at their desk? Any desk with a mug? Y- yeah. <laughs> Which one of you is that? Me, Jeff. Jeff, okay. That's that's the one of you that I see. I, I don't really see Jeremy. That hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> Usually I'm the invisible one. Ask Jeremy. <laughs> wow. I mean, can you read can you read people's lives? Can you see what they've experienced, that sort of thing? Um, sometimes but I, I don't really tell them. Oh. I mean, I, I feel like it's invasive, and I haven't done that to you all. I mean, <laughs> well, what if I wanted to? What if I'm like, you know, read me? Like, I, like I want to know. I want to know. I want to know about me. <laughs> well, the w- one thing I do shy away from is is doing personal readings, and um, and the reason is because I feel like people, um, I, you know, people come to me and they they have asked me a lot, and I, I do tell them when spirits come and their loved ones. Because they're right here, and they they give me messages, but um, I I do shy away from the readings and telling people about their own lives because um, I I could cloud that with opinion mm-hmm. for one, and I I try not to be opinionated or put anything in there because a lot of yeah you know, it's so hard for psychics to tell somebody about their own life and not be opinionated. But um, I also think that everybody has to go live their lives, and there's so many people that would change what they did based on what I say. 
um, hard to believe anybody would listen to me because my, my kids certainly don't. My husband doesn't. <laughs> my dog doesn't. <laughs> but a lot of people believe what a psychic says. It might, it might change their lives. Hmm. So, gee, you know, party games for me. Aren't I awful? I know. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> um, can you uh, tell, if you're at a conference or something with, with other psychics, can you tell who's the BS artist and, and who's the real deal? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. There's our perspective. Shall we, shall we go down the list? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. No, I will I will tell you one time. Um I was at a conference with Mark and um there was this woman in a spirit and the whole conference she was just nag 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 nagging me to go talk to um her loved one. And her loved one was a psychic and she kept saying, But she can't see me, she can't hear me. <laughs> And I told Mark, I just, the whole time he kept looking over me, and I had my hands on my ears, and I'm like, that you won't leave me alone. It was like in Ghost, where Whoopi keeps hearing 100 bottles of beer on the wall. Do you remember that scene? <laughs> right. And they wouldn't let her alone. It was like that. And this went on for hours. And Mark is like, you are not going to go tell that woman that her grandmother is here and that she can't hear her. <laughs> so it got, it got to be this joke. But, you know, I, I, not that the woman was not a good psychic. I think sometimes that when we're close to it or when we're close to um, loved ones, sometimes it's hard. it's hard to hear them. And it's good to have another person um, come and confirm that. But, yeah, I, I think sometimes. But, um Chip but, coffee, oh. real or no? <laughs> Come on. We're not going, we're not going there. <laughs> I will take that as a resounding no. Not really. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have never met him personally. I, honestly. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's only one person removed from mm-hmm. from the people. I mean, I know people who know him, but I've, I've never met him personally, so I cannot say. Okay, fair enough. Lane, medium. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, better than to say something. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't mean we, to ruin, I don't I mean really to ruin don't you, know. Lane, but um, John Edwards, anything? <laughs> well, actually, I have seen him in person. Oh. <laughs> I went to um, <laughs> I went to a conference. You, you know how he does these huge auditoriums, and it was about. Gosh, it was um, it was in the summer of two thousand and three, um, and. He read me out of a, a group of people. Um, he wasn't sure who he was exactly reading. It was me or the person next to me was claiming it. But he was saying things like, when you got married, the day you got married, something blew up at the sky. And the day of my wedding was the value jet crash. Hmm. And um, he said, you're about to move, you know, to a different state. And I didn't know it at the time. You know, a few weeks later, we moved. Um or my husband got the job, and we moved, you know, shortly thereafter. So um, there were just a lot of things that, that you know, came through. A woman also in the group, he looked at her, and he said that the dog that you had had cancer and had a black spot on his tongue. Um, so I, I know because I saw the woman, you know, and um, the shocked look on her face. And um, a lot of the way he seems to get information is the way I get information. So I can... Um, I understand how he's getting it and how he's delivering it because of the similarities and because I know, you know, he read me um, that he is. I can tell you that. Hmm. He's absolutely the real thing. Good to know. Jeff? 
Yeah. And well, I also know, um, oh, excuse me. I'm, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I'm working on a murder case, um, and um, the the family talked to me, and they also talked to Allison Dubois, and she, she came up with all the same stuff that I came up with. So either we're both wrong or we're both right. <laughs> huh. So they, they, they had a lot of good things to say about Allison, too. Yeah. Well, uh, Lane, one of the one of the big topics on this show is I'm sure I don't know if Mark's told you or not is is we delve into the the UFO thing quite a bit, and uh, I would say in different ways than other shows have done that kind of view the whole thing as some sort of extraterrestrial contact. Uh, and I think I speak for Jeremy on a certain level with this is that we kind of think it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, well, we've we, well, we've also had other guests on the show who seem to feel in a similar way. I, mean, I think George Hansen is a guy that we've had on a couple of times who's talked about not so much the 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 whys of the paranormal, uh, why this, why that, but rather what surrounds the paranormal events, which he kind of brings down to being um, marginality. Uh, marginality being marginal people in a certain sense that um, that do experience legitimate phenomena, but it seems almost like the phenomena more or less picks them because they are marginal uh, in the sense that uh, it doesn't want to be it, – it wants to remain elusive, but yet it wants to show itself. Um, and anti-structure being the other one. Uh, whereas, just like you say, when you moved, I, I was immediately my ears perked when you said that this happened not long after you moved. That that falls right in line with his line of thought is that uh, uh, being taken out of your routine, being put into a new house, uh, a new community, a new life has a profound effect on uh, manifestation of certain things that we would call the paranormal. Right. One of the things that I see as far as uh, the UFO thing goes, is that I've witnessed this in my own life that whatever they are, whatever they're coming from, it seems to be directly connected with the amount of intent that someone seems to show the subject itself. Uh, The more obsessed someone would get with it, the more things they would see. Uh, And I'm not sure what I put that to yet, um, I'm not sure if, if in the notion of wanting to see or becoming enthralled with a subject that you tune yourself or something tunes you because you're putting out the vibe, so they say. I'm curious if, uh, if you've had something that kind of falls in that bucket that, you know, you were paying more than enough attention to something and, uh, and it became palpable to you. Uh, or if you see that that focus of intent bringing about certain experiences or not bringing about those experiences? Um, well, you know, I see it in the groups of people that, that come to our events and hear me lecture. Um, I, I see when we do our, we have weekends and conferences in Gettysburg and um, Fredericksburg also, and um, people look for, events and look for experiences and want that. And everybody usually has something happen over the weekend. Um, but I think that 
maybe they look for it. I think sometimes people are more willing to to see something that that may not be paranormal and want it to be paranormal sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I, I think, like you, you mentioned, the marginal, marginal people, that this may happen. And um, the first thing that you mentioned, and I think that there, there may be, as a marketing researcher, there may be a certain demographic or a certain um, mindset that may be more willing to talk about this than other people. Uh-huh. And, you know, perhaps there are, are lots of people from, from all walks of life who are having these paranormal experiences, but, um, you know, maybe a grandmother is not as willing to speak about it, or um, somebody who is in a, a circle of people who's in the corporate world, you know, and has to keep up a certain image. They, they don't want other people to think that they're nuts or <laughs> think right. differently. And they may, not, they may not necessarily talk about this. But somebody who may be in a, a, a different profession or maybe be um, in a different walk of life, they may be more willing to talk about it. They may not have as much judgment around them. They, you know, they may find it more interesting for some reason. Could be right. you know, several different things. So, do, do you see? I mean, one of the things that that George Hansen told us when he was on the show was that the paranormal seems to take uh, a certain motto, and that motto is. Make them look like a nut. <laughs> have you ever? I'm sure you have. Um, <laughs> you know, at a certain point, gone. I'm not saying that. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, I mean, I'm sure that that happens uh, uh, quite a bit. But I'm wondering if there was ever anything so bizarre to you that you're like, you know, I'm not buying that. That's uh, I'm either misperceiving this or you're deliberately being elusive. I mean, do you find a lot of the elusive nature of the paranormal in what you do? Um, I have had some some very strange things happen. Um, you know, and, and I work with several other mediums who are are just great mediums. Um, Patty Wilson is one, and we've talked about this before. And there are things that we just we wouldn't tell anybody, and things that we've had that we've experience together because people don't necessarily believe it. I mean, the the furthest I've ever come is telling you about the angel and the, the demonic and the, the exorcism. Um, because one, I, I need to be, I need to look credible for what I do. You know, I, I'm working with police officers. I'm working with detectives. I wouldn't go down the line and, and, you know, talk about a lot of things because, um, ultimately I have to get my information from somebody on the other side. But when you start talking about, you know, if you start naming off spirits and talking to them out loud, people think you're nuts, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Things that you don't do. Um, so so there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there it is. Well, and here's the other question, and you can say no comment to this if you want, and I'm believe me, nobody's going to think bad of you for that. Um Another angle that we've pursued on this show is, and you've already brought up, altered states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've talked about a lot is uh, a chemical compound called DMT, another one called psilocybin, better known as the magic mushroom, uh, or any type of psychedelic like that. Uh, there was a man named Terrence McKenna that, for a very long time, uh, talked about 
entities that he would meet within a psychedelic experience uh, with DMT that appeared to be small, basketball-sized, what he called machine-like elves. Uh, They were incredibly bizarre. Um, They were trying to impart to him a new sense of language uh, by singing objects into existence right in front of him uh, during these experiences. Now, Lane, (laughs) have you ever done a psychedelic and had some kind of really whacked out experience like that, that, uh, that you could talk about, or have you never touched a drug in your life? Honestly, I've, I've never touched a drug in my life, but I will say I have had NyQuil. (laughs) Okay. Well, NyQuil's good. (laughs) (laughs) And I try not to take it too much because I, it does alter your state of consciousness and I can, when I when I take NyQuil, I can see spirits much more vivid, much wow, more vividly. Hey, yeah, there it is, <laughs> NyQuil, <laughs> the coffee sneaky sneezing. Uh, what are they? Stuffy head fever, so you can see ghosts yeah. uh, stuff. Yeah. You know, and I and I, um, I I wrote my director um, this morning because I I've been sick. I've I've been sick this week, and um, I, I took some medicine, and I, I had this dream, and I knew it was a real dream about a missing person. It was, um, and so I wrote her and, and described it and everything, and she just you know wrote me back and said, "Wow, it you know it matches this description," and I think that the woman is still alive that nobody thinks is alive. So, but um, I I remember it so vividly, and. Um, I don't know. Was it because I was on the NyQuil or is it because it would happen anyway? I mean, it would happen anyway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, and, I, and I don't know. I've, I've never come across any aliens that I've spoken to firsthand, you know, right, to, right. directly. Hmm. Um, that I know of anyway. Um, usually I'm talking to spirits and they identify themselves. And I, I don't call on spirits. I, I make sure that I know who I'm talking with before I engage in a conversation. I mean, they, they'll come to me a lot of times and identify themselves, but I, I would never do a seance or I wouldn't call on spirits to come because I wouldn't be able to verify their identity either. So, uh, um, well, since we're... Uh, tangent, but. Yeah, well, well, that's okay. Um, since we're, uh, we're out of time, I'm going to ask the last question, which is uh, probably one out of 100 in my head right now that I'd like to ask you. But, you know, when I when I tend to think of my grandparents who passed away when I was in high school. Uh, I was very, very, very close to them. Uh, I think about, or I picture, I guess, my grandfather a lot more. This is my mother's parents. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had conversations with my mom. And one at one point, my mom has had some pretty strange experiences as well. I don't know. She, I, she said to me one day, where do you think they are? Uh, or when you think about them, where do you picture them being? And I told her, I said, I don't know why, but for some reason, I see them in a house by the water. They didn't live in a house by the water. Uh, it's, it's very woodsy. It's very pretty. And I always picture it sometime towards either early morning or late evening. And I have no idea why I associate that image with that's where they are. Mm-hmm. But yet, my mother turned stone cold white when I said that. And she says, that is exactly what I picture when I think of where are they right now. Oh, how wonderful. So I, I'm curious if a spirit that you've talked with has been to whatever the other side equals to, 
have they ever said what it's like or what their perception of it is? Is it exactly what you want it to be? Is it exactly what you expect it to be? Or does it completely surprise you? Um, I, I think it depends on our mindset, really. Um, and that is another thing that I would love for you to take a look at, at this book by um, Elsa Barker on my site. Um, I learned a lot about that. But what I hear from spirits is that they're happy, it's beautiful, and it's nothing like that they thought it would be. That heaven isn't mm. like what they thought it would be. It's it's like it's like what they make it. Um, mm. But but you know, in talking about it in this way, it makes it sound so far off, and it's not. It's really like a, a veil between this world and the next. You know, and, I, and I've asked them before: Is it a portal? How do you get here and be there and be able to see us? And you know, one told me, well, a portal might be the easiest way to explain it to you, but it's really not. And then I'm like, is it a curtain that you just go through? And it was like, yeah, it's like a, a veil that you, you go between. And, and thoughts are things, and you travel on thoughts. And when, when we think of our loved ones, they know, and they can come to us. And your grandfather and grandmother are not in a faraway place. They're, they're bound to you with love, and they're around you, and they can see you. And they may they may come here into this dimension and physically be here with you and make you feel better. If you're sad, they may they may make you feel the emotion of happiness to sort of even that out and be right next to you. Um, or they may watch you from heaven, but they're inextricably linked to you through love. Huh. Because when we die, it's 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 not so long a time, you know, when we have an eternity to live as a soul, you know. A, a hundred years, fifty years until our death is not too long for, you know, our grandparents to wait with us and to be with us and to love us. You know, to right, stay around. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like you have a William around you. Yeah, that's my grandfather. <laughs> okay. That he's, yeah. he's, he's he is with you, and he's with you more than more than you know he is. Um, he is. Um, um, the pretty place that you were talking about is. Ha- did you say it has a lake? Because I'm seeing like a lake. Yes, it's right beside a lake. I mean, that's that's at least what I picture in my head. Now, where that comes from, I have no idea. But uh, whenever somebody asks me that, um, or or they talk about, you know, where do you think we go? That's the place that pops into my head. And and I, I guess I mean really the only. I guess if you could answer it in a skeptical way, the only skeptical answer I can come up with is that Pop and I used to fish all the time, and that was our thing. And and I would think that if he was going to have some place, he'd have to have a place where he could go fish. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's... um uh, it's just it it struck me very weird that mom pictured exactly the same thing and I even drew it. I mean, I've been a professional artist for 22 years and I drew it for her. Wow. And uh she goes, "Yeah, that's that's like exactly it. That's exactly the way I see it when I picture it. Three-quarter view, point of a little, you know, a piece of land and then water around it and stream going by and all of that." So, um you know, I, I often wonder, is it, is it as tangibly real as uh, as this? Is it not? Is it, uh, I mean, if you fall down, do you still skin your knee? I mean, it's that kind of, it's those kind of questions that I often wonder about how one perceives 
well, not we, being alive anymore. I mean, certainly perception continues. At least I believe that. I don't know that, but I believe it. Uh, but answering you directly, he he was he was laughing at the at the fishing. He said, "Yes, we love it here." But then he said, "When you when you said about skin your knee, he said, but yes, but there is no pain." Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. So, um, you know, it it is. It's like our dreams. When we're in our dreams, um, we're in a different place. But we're physically. If you have a vivid dream, you can look down and you can feel yourself and you can touch somebody else in your dream. Right. It's like that. Hmm. You know, it's every much is. Re- I mean, that's really the real world. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard before too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to ha- I'd like to have you back on at some point in the future. Um we are going to be doing a show from Mark Nesbitt's on the 24th of October. So Mark has graciously allowed us use of his place in Gettysburg and we're going to do a live uh well, more or less live thing, live on tape type of thing from there. So uh but anyway, Link, thank you very much for coming on. Well, I have had such a pleasure talking to you two. Thank you. Yes, and please come back when you've uh, remote viewed Jesus. Okay. Do it. Yes, do it. Do it. I have been in the pyramids. (laughs) I'll go a little further. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, give me some good ideas. Thank you. That's right. Thank you very much. Take care. This is Mark Nesbitt. I wrote the Ghosts of Gettysburg. You are listening to Paratopia with Jeff and Jeremy. So the Jeff. So the Jer. This is the now third time we've tried to record the. the after chat and uh, yes, and and I'll just we'll just go through the motions as if as if we're saying this for the first time. Gosh, okay. Jeff, I worry about what the message boards are going to say. Well, Jeremy, um. <laughs> and then as I'm saying that, Lane calls you and yes. says, "What? This is what interrupted our trying to record the yeah. after chat the last time we we tried to record it." Well, she uh, she called me and she said that. Um, uh, she said, you mentioned artwork, and she said the whole time that, that we were talking, I wanted to mention this. She said, but behind you is, um, uh, have you ever done a portrait of a girl looking to the left? And I was like, I turn around, and <laughs> I turn around. <laughs> Here's a picture of a girl looking to the left, huh. and it's the only one that I've done in this room. And it's an abandoned piece, essentially. I I I stopped doing it because I didn't like it. But it's a it 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 actually was a discarded piece. And on the other side, I did that when I was uh, between junior and senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at a a, a GNT uh, summer uh, curriculum for uh, uh, illustration, and I actually. Did an illustration on the other side of it, which went on to win a, a lot of acclaim. For what reason, I have no idea, because I didn't really care for it that much. But my teachers all thought it was amazing. So it went around the country, and a lot of people see, saw it, and uh, uh, and I won money with it. So that's a good thing, right? So, yeah, she called me up to tell me that she saw it. And, uh, and it was actually, just in case anybody would think that the camera on the computer would see it, it was facing with its back. Or or its front, it was on the back, and there's no way anybody could have seen that. Plus, our cameras can't work when we're conferencing with other people. It, well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, yeah. 
And and you say you know you fear the message boards, and I and I understand why is that you know uh, as I was just telling Lane on the phone that we had um, uh, I think our message board feels relatively I don't know negative against religion, and she you know identified as being Christian woman and and uh, related things to heaven and angels and all of that. But one of the things she just said on the phone is to to make sure that I mentioned that uh, she sees all religions or all of those as being. Uh, of one thing that there is a, a a god or a supreme or deity or something like that and that's kind of like been my thing it's like religion to me is it just marginalizes the subject of god for me because and that's why i'm not religious is because i, I don't think that it's i think it's nothing but a um, control mechanism that was started years ago but you know that's not to say that um you put that blame on whatever you deem to be God. You know that's that's man's thing. That's not a, a thing that that I would say is is uh, put onto God. So, and I, I do have belief in God, but uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't I don't know what that I don't know what that means. Um, but I certainly don't I, I don't buy religion's take on it. Uh, that's the best way to summarize it, I guess. Well, I also don't think that you have to um, buy her take on, on what's going on for her to be a psychic medium. Like, I think we all see through whatever our filters are. and Absolutely. And that's how it sort of comes. Um, so I wouldn't, like, hang up on her and storm off like some other shows, and I wouldn't no. uh, coddle her and... And say, "Oh yeah, that's amazing." Like other shows might. Right. Um, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the middle ground here, and I'm gonna say um, that you can be psychic, um, but that doesn't mean that you uh, know everything. It's not. It's not the 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 gift of all knowingness. Right. Um, that you would think accompanies an ability like that. You know, she doesn't even make clear what necessarily. She's drawing from experience. She's drawing from the books she's read or the people she's talked to, um, and I, you know, I think you'd sort of have to parse that out. And I, you know, um, if, if you, you know, cared to be like so critical of somebody who says they're a medium, um, because for instance, I don't buy that. You know, this is a uh, school, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we all come here and, and choose and whatever and all that. I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, not just for the little, you know, people who die at birth, but also. Saying that your your family is always there to protect you and all that. I mean, that sounds nice to us, but again, what about those very kids that she is trying to uh, figure out what happened to their bodies, you know, so she can tell the police? Right. Where were their dead parents or grandparents or whatever right. to protect them? Where are their guardian spirits? I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. I mean, I, I guess you can. I guess you say, well, they chose that before life. I guess my point is she didn't say, well, this is what the dead people told me. She's saying this is what she believes. Right, uh, and I don't think she said that that's what she actually garnered as information from any of her guides. But I could be wrong about right. that. But I don't think. Well, she did. I mean, does, doesn't that all kind of fall in line? Excuse me, in parallel with the you know, if there's a god, why does he let bad things happen? I mean, I think uh, I, I don't know. I I see life being a sort of a chaos effect and. You know, there are some things that just can't. You know, things happen. Good things happen, to, uh, to, or bad things happen to good people, right? So, um, you know, I, I, do I think that there's guardian spirits of sorts? Yeah, I do. 
do I think they can enact to, to save lives? Uh, I think when it's possible, but who, who are we to say what's possible or not possible from the aspect of being dead people? <laughs> I mean, we don't know. But I think, you know, I think, I think that uh, I wouldn't have had Lane on if I didn't think that there was something to her uh and and what she says because she hits upon so many things that that you know i immediately think okay cold reading blah 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 i said nothing she knew nothing about this house she knew uh where carol was that was the only thing that carol said to her and at least made it i said to, to lisa i said did she say what area of town we were in or she goes no she didn't say anything except you do you know where i am and and you know can you hone in and see what you see here and she immediately got, you know, the stairwell banister, the lay of the room. Uh, she said, somebody's sitting in the corner with a green shirt. That was my kid. Yeah, um, no, I wouldn't even think that she's lying. I mean, she doesn't strike oh, no. lying about anything. No, but I think that there's all these, like you said, there's perceptual filters, there's cultural filters that people see things through. I would say, uh, I, I think if we have her back on, I want to ask her, you know, how would how would somebody develop? This kind of thing, because you always hear psychics say, "Everybody's got this. Everybody can do this. You know, there's nothing special about me." I'd be curious what her take on that is, if she sees herself as. Well, yeah, since it just happened to her one day, you know. Yeah, I mean that's. There? Does it have to happen to you and then you develop it, or can you develop it out of nothing? Right. See, I don't know. See, I had uh, it and I didn't develop it, and then it went away. <laughs> right, right. So I actually, I have no problem believing in psychic ability or in that. That's not a belief to me. I've experienced that. I just, uh, I did nothing with it. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really put a whole lot of stock in it because I guess what I've been exposed to has been Chip Coffee and uh, uh, what's the other guy, Derek from Most Haunted, and mm-hmm. you know he'd basically flail himself all over the ground and hoot and holler Sylvia and scream, Brown. and I'd be like Sylvia Brown. I mean, people like that, uh, and. and you know, and I, I mean, for my money, I don't, I find John Edwards extremely suspicious. <laughs> In Lane is listening to this, I will make one criticism of her <laughs> that I think okay. I have for most psychics, uh-huh. which is you've got this, this great gift, right? And I think mm-hmm. you have, I don't know, do you? Do you have a responsibility to do something deeper with it than just read people? Or even, I mean, as good as it is to work, um, detective cases, I guess maybe you could say, okay, that's enough, but, I mean, why wouldn't you go back in time and look at Jesus, or or Buddha, or JFK, or Roswell, or right. any of these things? Why wouldn't you constantly be asking these, I mean, she says she has guardian spirits, right? So why wouldn't you be asking for as many secrets to the universe as you could possibly get? Why wouldn't you right. be asking for mathematical formula that would solve time travel, for instance? I mean, and right. these sort of like bigger things that are like bigger than, you know, I care about Civil War history, so I'm going to ask about Civil War history. I mean, that's what is that? Is it just uh, just short sightedness? I mean, I don't I don't know what that is. I don't know, or maybe it's just that. Uh, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be her, so I don't know what it's like to wake up talking to people who aren't there that are in in some kind of spiritual form. So I don't I don't know how to take that. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I have to say that there's been more than enough times that people have said to me, you know, if you're seeing these beings, why aren't you asking him this and that and the other? And my answer is because I don't think about those kind of things. Uh, and I don't know why. Um, I want to say uh, that I'm asking that after just saying, well, I've had these experiences and I didn't develop them. 
because <laughs> that might <laughs> seem a little hypocritical. But the reason I didn't develop them is because I didn't want to um, to rest there. Like it felt like this was part of an opening up process that was part of a larger process that if I stopped anywhere along the way to develop something that I would then become that and not oh, okay. continue on with the process. So I felt for me that would interrupt the flow of things. But right. but for somebody who wakes up with that sort of thing and is just there and that's what their interest is, I just don't understand why they're not more <laughs> interested in giant philosophical, scientific, or even historical uh, questions. Maybe it's just the all of it happening at all, you know. Um, I'll tell you what I found interesting. She hurt her back. Uh-huh. Did, you, did you catch that action? Yeah. <laughs> Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. She's in maybe I need, Me maybe and I, Lee. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I need to go hurt my back or something. I don't know. I'm thinking about jumping off the roof. Have I said this on this show? I mean, maybe people have seen it in a Bruce Lee documentary, but Bruce Lee ended up hurting his back, and while he was out with a back injury, read Judo Krishnamurti and uh, got it, and that's how he developed his uh, The Way of No Way, as he calls it, and that's how he developed you know, his style of martial arts, incorporating all martial arts into the one system. Uh, I look at that and I think, wow, I'm just like Bruce Lee except completely out of shape <laughs> and and not at all a, a martial arts master, more of a uh, schmuck. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, for one now, now I'm curious about psychics. So if nothing else, and that's sciatica. what it's done. And sciatica. Yes. Should I hurt myself? Vote on the Paratopia message. www.paratopia.net. Should I jump off the roof? Land backwards on a fence. That's what I'm asking here. Because one lady hurt her back, and she's psychic, and Jeremy got a back problem, and he's enlightened. So what do you think I'll get? I'm saying I'm thinking traction. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you attract bees. That's bees. So completely yeah. odd. Yeah. Like, ah, bees, why? <laughs> yes, yes. So, I mean, I, I found it interesting. Um I want to know more, so uh, you know I, I'm I'm not going to make any judgment on anybody. I think I think she's definitely got some ability to do what she does, and uh, and I've seen that firsthand. So I don't know. I'm curious as hell now. Yeah, I did say on the message board that I would answer uh, something here from last week's hullabaloo over the Teokas and Ghost Horse episode. Oh. Um, for yeah. those of you following that on the message board. Um, I said that I will talk about the paradox of my troubledness. Uh, in other words, someone was basically asking, well, gee, Jer, if you've had this giant enlightenment experience, um, it seems like you're troubled by it in some way. And so how do we know that it's always good, (laughs) this experience? How do you know that sort of letting go is the right thing to do? And I think... I know I've talked to you about this privately, and I think maybe I've talked about it on the show, but I don't know. But it's simply that my personal troubles with this stuff has to be taken with a grain of salt, because essentially I had the big I am awakening experience and immediately knew that I had a choice to carry on in that vein or be me and try to relate it as best I can. I didn't get the sense that I could do both of those things, and so I decided to remain me and, you know, write about it and talk about it or whatever And until such time that I write a book about it, and then I'll be done. Then, then you know, my job is done here, and I can go do whatever. Um, what I didn't realize when I agreed to that 
made a little pact with myself to do that, was that when I say I remain me, that means I remain me. That means all that psychological baggage that is me, yeah, that gets to come right back, you know? Um, the depression, the whatever, the whatever. Now, of course, some of it is altered and some of it is, you know, lessened and all that. But, I mean, essentially, it's still there. And so so I think, you know, my fears of, of things that are going on in my life uh, about this stuff, it's like I'm going through the motions of being fearful because that's who I am. But at the same time, paradoxically, like I know it's okay, you know? And I think this is sort of what you get to when you say that you think that I know more than I claim to. And I say, no, I don't. Well, I think it's both at the same time. It's like, no, I don't because I'm still me. But <laughs> but I've got that little, you know, the little unconscious thing in the back of my head going, yeah, you do. <laughs> at all times. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's this weird thing. And, and, and the only thing I can even make it a, an analogy to is um, if when you whine about something and you know you're whining about something that you could do something about, but you whine about it anyway... Anyone ever do that? Because that's my perpetual state. It's like, I know what I could be doing to, to fix this, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. No amount of advice is going to help me. And so uh, you, you just put up with my, my bitching for a little while or, or don't. <laughs> but in the meantime, I guess part two of what I wanted to answer on this message board, if that wasn't confusing enough, is um, somebody saying, sort of challenging the notion that, that what I'm saying about giving up the sense of self um, or giving up the self period to uh, to have this experience, you know, someone was saying, "Well, that's not necessary." I don't believe that, and I've heard that a lot. So I'm not picking on this person because I, I've heard that a lot. It's like, no, there's all these paths, and, and everyone has their own path. And what's wrong with that? Um, and I, I think the point that's not getting across is that yes, those are fine for those results, but all of those results come to you naturally when you do dissolve the self. It's like, it's all the stuff that's there that somebody jotted down in the East, in the West, the wherever, um, as these various paths. And um, none of those paths actually lead to enlightenment because they are the thing that happens once you're there. <laughs> all you got to do is read uh, anything from Krishnamurti, anything, well, Peter Kingsley's book, Reality. Um, I think pretty much anything Buddha said, really, um, some of the stuff attributed to Jesus you can can be read that way. So there is this universal experience of enlightenment that is not the middle way, as the Dalai Lama talks about. That is, you know, meaning it's not sort of balancing yourself and and you know trying to be self aware and all that stuff. I mean, all this stuff is great. That's just not what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is a very specific, um, well, for me, an experience. But I contend that it's where. Not only we can live, but where we must go, which is essentially, I think, the merging of consciousness and unconscious mind, adopting this sort of quote-unquote God or universal energy or truth, whatever freaking word you like, oneness point of view, uh, that sort of replaces your brain-centered point of view as the thing that's in control, as the thing that's, that's maneuvering the body, as the thing that's giving you action, let's say telling you what to do, something that Teokas and Ghost Horse, I think, spoke quite a bit about, which is just knowing, you know, that sort of just knowing, um, I think, comes from that. So, what I'm saying is that, that what I'm talking about, when you get rid of the self, or when the brain gets rid of the self, an actual mutation occurs in the, in the body, where this 
this happens. And um, that's completely different than trying to live your life um, in a healthy way or a right way or a friendly way or um, a self-conscious way or any of that sort of stuff. It's completely different than that. And you can't get to it by any way because it's – basically what you're saying when you, you say that is that you can know the unknowable with known means – and you can't know the unknowable, period. Uh, this particular unknowable is a point of view that that becomes you when you're no longer there trying to know it, <laughs> which which is a nice little tongue twister. Um, so there's that. I just wanted to address that. I don't know if that makes any sense at all to anyone but me, but I will say that the point of this is that, that you know, when we talk about spirituality and religion and all that sort of stuff, it's like nobody wants to hear an answer. Everyone wants to pretend like, you know, everything, everything is relative and, and your answer is fine and my answer is fine. And, you know, in one sense that's true, but it's not true in the sense that all paths are going to, to lead to the same result, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not true in the more scientific sense of uh, A plus B equals C because, you have 8,000 A's <laughs> running around out there claiming to be A, and they're not. Uh, so they're not really A plus B equals C. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? No. Okay. Let me try this one more time. <laughs> You've got paths, right? No, I mean, people don't, you know, if you say like, well, no, I'm sorry, what you're, what you're saying about religion and spirituality is wrong then you're arrogant, right? Then you're this arrogant. Like, who are you to say that? And I'm who am I to say? I'm the guy who actually had this experience that you didn't. So that's why I am to say that. And I have had some of these other experiences. And after having this experience, I can absolutely see where all of these other things come into play. You were asking, like, you know, in the last episode, what's one cool result or whatever of quote-unquote enlightenment? Well, I would say that one result is that you then just know or understand, or whatever, where all of these things come from, all of these various belief systems, why tribal paint exists, where it does on the body, you know, all of these, like, little things that you sort of take for granted, I think you just sort of know. You get it, because you see it. It all sort of unfolds, and you go, oh, oh, I get it. So I feel like I've been there and done that, and you haven't, and so why would I argue, like, I'm not going to argue the point. Now, you don't know that. You would have to take my word for that. So... Don't take my word for that. Here's where it becomes the paradox. I'm saying that I'm not going to argue the point because I've been there and done that, and I know. What I'm not going to tell you is that I am, therefore, a guru type who you can come to for knowledge or whatever, because then that's completely wrong, you know? Then you do have to, like, believe what I'm saying, try to figure it out along my lines, and all of that. And it's not, it's, it's completely, it is completely an individual experience. All I can do is pointed out, and it's up to you to to see that and run with it or not. But certainly you can't even, like, uh, you can't believe me, or I can't expect you to believe me enough to, like, set me up as an authority figure or something like that. Like, that would be ridiculous because it's it's antithetical. That would be knowledge, you know what I mean? Like, even if I'm correct, even if, if everything I'm saying is right, it then becomes knowledge, which is sort of the death of truth. Uh, when it becomes knowledge, then it's like just something that we can ponder, we can agree with, we can disagree with. It dies. It's it's a it's a that's what this sort of knowledge, these spiritual paths are. They are the shell of truth. They're the death of truth. It's when truth 
which is in the ever-present now, enters the time stream, it dies. So, I'm telling you the truth, and if you want to say, it's my truth, well, okay. Um, No, I'm actually telling you the truth. (laughs) But in so telling you the truth, truth is now dead for you. So don't fucking believe me, (laughs) or disbelieve me, just find out yourself. And I feel like, if, if you're someone who says, okay, I see what you're saying, but I think there are different ways, I think you're wrong then to me that's the equivalent of not looking through the telescope. You haven't looked through the telescope, so you don't know that I'm wrong. You don't know that all of these paths lead to truth because you've been on them and you haven't found truth, right? So look through the fucking telescope. Don't take my word for it. Don't don't, don't negate the telescope. Just look through the telescope. That's all I ask. Where's the eyepiece? <laughs> the eyepiece. Ah, see, this is... You want the eyepiece to be the eye of rational thinking. You want to be able to like bring it to you, but it's it's not that. It's the eye of contemplation. It's uh, the eyepiece is when your brain gets that it can't get it, then it shuts up. There's nothing that you yourself can do except get on the same page with that and and pray <laughs> and hope that the brain gets it at some point and and just realize it over and over again, you know, until it until it becomes something that isn't intellectually uh, true, but is in fact deeply true. Then you go away. Then this happens to you. Then you get back problems. Get what? Get that the self has to die. You have to die while alive to be able to uh, usher in to the body God self awareness or this universal Kundalini energy, whatever word it is that that appeals to you. It's not something that can come while you're there. You're the thing blocking it out. Okay. This is my problem with it. And I can't be the only one. And if I am, then I'm a rube. I'm an idiot. Okay? My problem is, is that, you know, you read Chris DeMurdy. You read that, and this happens. And you contemplate this thing. So is this a matter of sitting down and contemplating the unknowable? And then realizing that you're never going to get it? I mean, this is what I've always said when I've thought about the things that you said. This has always been in the back of my head, so I'm just going to say it. I understand what you say when you say you can't go seek this out. You can't, you know, connect the dots. You can't uh, take a class. You know, this is not that kind of thing. But where's the guidebook? Where's the what's the step that I have to take to get to that point? What do I have to do? Do I have to sit quietly in a darkened room? What do I do? It's just something that comes upon you where you just finally get that you're not going to get it. It's like your brain has to go, I get it. I'm not going to get it. And so I'm going to retract the seeker. You know, if you think of yourself as sort of a virtual reality detective that your brain is projecting, you know, searching for this thing in the dark. So when you say get it, you mean all of this. This. You mean this and <laughs> and this and everything. I mean, you're not going to get what it's all about? What are you saying when yeah, you mean get it? Well, if, if you think about, um, yeah. What am I? Where are we? What are we doing here? What's it all about? Is that the questions, Alfie? Is that what we're <laughs> asking here? I think you can even make it more general than that. That okay. if we're talking about, uh, first you have to, I, I guess maybe the one step that you have to get beforehand would be to admit that 
God or truth or the meaning of life or whatever, you know, all those sort of big things that are all, are all sort of interconnected, that those are unknowable. That's, you know, if you want to say there's a step, well, I guess that's the step. Because once you say, oh, I know it, it's in a Bible, it's in a mantra, it's in a this or a that, then you've got it. And so why are, we wouldn't even be talking. So step one, if you want to say there's a step, is to say, is to get that you can't know the unknowable, right? And so once you know that you can't know the unknowable, <laughs> then there's no point in the seeker existing because the seeker is only going to apply knowledge. It's only going to try to figure this stuff out with what's already known, right? Um, and once you realize that you can't do that, you go away. And I mean, you've got to get it as more than an intellectual sort of exercise. And it is harder to do than it sounds because it, it, it's, much like, it's much like when you try to stay awake in a dream. And you try to go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be awake in this dream and, and remain conscious. Um, the dream always wants to overtake you and envelop you. And that's what life is. So even if you are intellectually awake enough to say it, um, your mind will wander and you'll start thinking about other things or whatever, you know. Sort yeah, of yeah, that's what happens to me. Yeah, I can't make myself. I mean, what, I think when you first started talking to me about this, you said, all of a sudden my mind just went completely blank. I'm like, that's impossible. How is that possible? I sit here and I try to keep things out of my mind and I've got everything from work to to my son, to the dog, and to the house, to the money, to the, you know, the car. <laughs> How do you, I can't shut that off. I mean, well, I, you're not, I can't you make know. myself not shut it off. I mean, how do you make that shut off? You're not making that shut off. I mean, maybe the point is that you contemplate this one thing to the exclusion of those things. Okay. Uh, so that then you can throw it away and all that other stuff just doesn't enter the equation at that point. I see. Okay. You're talking about the bigger questions. Yeah. I think you have to contemplate them more than five minutes and then, you know, I got to go, you know, wipe the dog's ass or whatever. (laughs) Paratopia. (laughs) Wiping the ass of the dog of the universe. That's us. I mean, I think that's, I think that's, but see, here's the problem. Here's that's where I stumble with this. You know, here's my dilemma is that what I'm telling you is, you know, if I say, well, this is what I did. The problem is that we are uh, not all the same. We are like snowflakes. And so however screwed up you are or whatever amount of contemplation you do give to these things, it'll depend on that, on what you actually need to do. Like you you probably need to contemplate more than I do uh, or did because you weren't reading a whole bunch of stuff and caring deeply about those questions um, to the exclusion of other things. I, um, many years ago, worked in a sign shop, and uh, I had a friend at work who came in and said that his wife was in the hospital. And I said, well, what happened? And he says, I don't know. She was sitting on the couch the other night and was just kind of staring out into space. And I said, what are you thinking about? And she says, everything. And then all at once, she began jumping up and down and looking around the room as if she were scared to death and said, uh, she, he said, she kept saying, don't, don't you see, don't you see, don't you see? And they, they put her in the hospital. And when I asked him a couple of days later, you know, what was that all about? He said, I don't know. All I can get out from her is that all of a sudden she became aware of the hugeness of everything. 
the vastness of everything and how that she had no toehold on reality whatsoever. In fact, that that whole notion just became completely out the window for her. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's what happened to her? That she yeah. got a taste of that? I think it's possible, yeah. I mean, I, and I was thinking even during... Watch me bring this full circle, Jeff. Because we're professionals, you and I. Uh, I was even thinking during the you know this Lane interview, I mean, what, what, what really happened to her? They moved to where it was quiet. And now all of a sudden yeah. she develops this ability to hear um, right. that which is beyond the ears. Uh, and then you think about what George Hansen says about the trickster. You know, what is it that's creating this? You know, what is it? The anti-structure. What does that really mean? What is anti-structure? It's really breaking down that which you claim to know. Structure, right? It's breaking down the rules of structure. It's hitting bottom with your bullshit, you know? If you're an alcoholic, that's what it would be. And it's at that moment of hitting bottom, of realizing that all of this stuff that that you say you know, you know, you know, you know, about unknowable things, once you wake up to the lie of that, then you're awake, you know? That's the moment. That's the moment, and it... And it is very similar to um, schizophrenia or a mental breakdown or something along those lines, too. So I could see, you know, I could see that um, happening where you would be put in a mental hospital if somebody didn't know what the heck was going on with you. In fact, I just read a quote, and I think it was from um, Inner Paths to Outer Space about that, that the difference between uh, schizophrenia and um, an enlightened person is that the enlightened person can bring, bring back useful information. And the schizophrenic can't. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Huh. I mean, that, that that was. I always. I've thought about that half a dozen times while we were talking about this kind of stuff before, and and I never brought it up. But I, the more I hear you talk about this kind of stuff, that's the more that that I feel. And I'll tell you the God's honest truth. I mean, I have on occasion anxiety attacks uh, when there's a lot of pressure at work, just when I'm I'm worried about something or other. Uh, you know, I have anxiety attacks, and that is the feeling. That you have is I feel this enormousness to everything, and 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 there's actually a perceptual change. You know, like my eyes see differently during an anxiety attack. You know, where my heart beats fast, and and uh, uh, you know, feels like every bit of the air in the room has been sucked away, and that sort of thing. But I've also had like what I've mentioned before, like that hyper reality feeling is something that I truly approach with a certain degree of of fear um because it's it's a very it's a very difficult thing to get used to feeling i don't know that i would go looking for that you know i mean i I, i'm not sure and i'm not sure if we're even talking about the same thing i don't think i don't think that's the same i I mean i don't i don't know how else to describe it other than it wasn't i mean the times that i can think about it i can't say that i could ever see it as blissful or yeah, it kind of feels like you're the only person on earth. That's that kind of feeling, mm-hmm. you know, that I've encountered before. And that hyper realistic feeling, um, yeah, both yeah. both in it, both inside and outside of paranormal experiences, just on my own, like in the shop. If I'm airbrushing or I'm painting something, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there'll just be this twinge, and and I I I become acutely aware of myself. I become acutely aware of my surroundings. Right, and it's to like the to floating. Sort yes, of yeah, it's really weird. And then you feel this, kind of thing. you feel this disconnect where all of a sudden you feel like you're the only guy anywhere. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I think, is that what Jeremy's talking about? Is that what? And it's, does he feel that way all the time? 
because I don't know if I could function feeling like that all the time. Yeah, you know, feel like that all the time. I mean, that's certainly an effect of it. But uh, does that subside at any point, or um, you become acclimated to that kind of a feeling? No, I mean, yeah. there are real physical feelings to this. This is not just yeah. a, a mindset. This is a there's a very physical feeling about this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not particularly pleasant either. <laughs> all the time. I don't know. I find that a, um, sort of a restful point of view. You know, a restful sort of thing. I mean, I don't, it, it doesn't. I, I guess. It, yeah, I guess I am acclimated to that. Yeah. Well, I think that's. I like being a space cadet. I, I think that's part of the reason that people are having a hard time getting their heads around it is because number one, there's not a, there's not a point where you say this is where you can go to jump off. You don't have to tell them how to jump off, but I think you at least have to give them enough to say this is where I'm going to jump off, or this is where you can possibly go. Um, I just don't think you can do that. I just think that that we that that's what's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. That that was the wrong move. Not I shouldn't say wrong. It was the, the only move they could make at the time because there are limits to what you can know with the eye of contemplation as opposed to the eye of rationality and all that. Um, so they couldn't have known uh, enough way back when to say that there is a self born of the brain and a self born of something else. You know. Out there, right. the, the universal self or whatever that you tap into. Right. Um, so it would make sense to talk to people and tell them, yeah, you uh, you do this, you do that, you do the other thing. Uh, what they should have been saying is the brain needs to get that. You need to go away. Um, because we are people who think about our selves and our brains now, you know, in a way that I don't think we were way back when. Okay. So, I mean, so how do you do that? I mean, how do you say, well, brain, shut up? Yeah, see, that's not enough to tell people. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, I understand where you're coming from. Right. So then that beg- then begs the question, then, why are you talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, um, you know, maybe... Because obviously... Because obviously... Who get this. <clears throat> well, as, as, as eloquent a speaker as you are, you, you can't verbalize this, can you? I mean... I can't. I think I can do it in a book. That's what I'm going to try to do. Only because, and I think it, what I will do with the book is the first half will be conversational, just like this, and then the second half will be the same thing, except every, except instead of saying you, I, we, everything will be I. So it'll be most of the points from the first half of the book, but as I, with the instruction to read the book uh, from your point of view without hearing my voice. Oh, okay. And I think that's the only way to get the brain to hear something is to speak from the point of view of the brain. I don't know if this is dangerous. I don't know if it will work. But, um, you know, maybe. Maybe if people read something in the voice of themselves, it will have an effect. I don't know. But that's certainly something I couldn't do speaking. Huh. Um, so I think that will be my contribution to all of this mess. And uh, if it works, great. If it doesn't, fuck it. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> well... But I still this find it really interesting that, you know, we had on Ghost Horse and, you know, I, you know, I guess it bears saying on the, the podcast, if there are people listening that don't read the message boards, that most of the people really liked the episode. And even some of the people yeah. who did like the episode uh, wanted to know, like, what gives him the right to speak for the Lakota or, you know, one person was sort of really going after him and all Native people sort of lumping them all together at one point. Uh, which to me smacks of racism. He explained himself and said not not really, but I think, well, I'll just say it's 
racially lazy <laughs> to lump everyone together and go, you know, all these tribes had their own crap to deal with and it was all the same. Uh, I don't think that's true. In fact, I've never heard Teokasin say, I speak for all indigenous people. He's only ever said the Lakota. Um, and I, I don't know, I just find it interesting because I don't feel like he said anything that was particularly different from something that, say, Sting might say during a uh, a concert about oneness and self and all of that stuff. And if you were to hear Sting say it, you'd be like, oh, Sting. But, you know, here's a Lakota man saying it. And it's like, who's this Lakota guy? What, what gives him the right? And I feel like that gets... Um, that really what's at the heart of that is that he has the audacity to say, my people have gone through this and we're there. The thing that you hold as an ideal is the place where we are. And I think when you hear that, if you're not there, you go, well, that can't be because no one's actually supposed to really achieve that state of consciousness. And if you have, then I haven't, then, then you're saying you're better than me. And, and then it becomes this whole conflict of, you know, uh, None of that. It's like it's like SETI with UFOs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Aliens aren't abducting you. They come talk to me through my giant million dollar telescope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even that, even that is weird. Like even the the person on the message board uh, who was sort of um, you know debating me over this kept saying, "I want to bring this to my level. I want to have this experience." And remain my rational self because I need to be in control, you know. He basically said that, you know, I, I need to remain in control. And it's like, I'm sorry, you don't get it. The answer is that you don't get to remain in control. And that's the fucking answer. I mean, that's it. So you accept that answer or you don't. You figure mm-hmm. it out or you don't. And, and not because I say so, not because Hyokusin says so, but because that's actually the truth of the matter. So go discover it, go look through the telescope, and tell me what you find. I mean... I don't know. Don't, don't you see people uh, saying that uh, that's just uh, a trait of ideologies from one thing to another? Um, yeah, but they're wrong because you're not you're not trading an ideology. You're giving up. Period. You're giving up the self. Period. With all of the ideologies to see what's there. You're not saying what's there. You're not saying look through the telescope and you'll see blank. Just look through the telescope. Now, if I were to say this is what you'll find, that would be an ideology. And Teokasin, Teokasin, now look, I'm not even speaking for Teokasin because we're not exactly saying the same thing either. But I, I know enough, as I said, you know, having gone through this or being in this, I can see enough to know where he is coming from and that he is not lying <laughs> and he's not making stuff up to, like, look culturally superior or any of that. I can really no. hear what he is saying, and so... Um, I feel like at some point, I guess, Jeff, uh, I guess I just feel like i got to put my foot down and say that the reason that I defend him, quote-unquote, more than another guest would be because uh, I do see, not only do I see where he's coming from, but I see why other people don't see where he's coming from. And nobody wants to hear that because that makes it sound like, again, like, who am I to say that? Elitist. Uh Yeah, but it just is what it is. So, And you can discover that for yourself. Or not. Uh, But that's not my, that's of no consequence to me. I don't know why I should have to, you know, I guess feel like I should defend myself at all turns or whatever. Now, I guess the question begs that if somebody does this and they have this enlightening experience, will they expect to be free floating in the cosmos and see the alleged Big Bang and all of that? I mean, is that uh, a universal experience? Yeah, I'm going to go on a limb and say yes. (laughs) But I think that the reason that 
again, a Krishnamurti never said that is because once you say, this is what happened to me, he never said what happened to him. He never said, this is what you'll achieve, because that uh-huh. becomes, that's your goal. And if that's your goal, uh-huh. then you've got your answer in mind. Then you're trying to know the unknowable with the known, which is what Krishnamurti just told you, you see? So even mm-hmm. if it's true, even if that is what you experience, it's it's wrong to, to try to have a goal, because the goal becomes the thing, you know? Right. Um, the end. Don't struggle for anything. Struggle for nothing. Yeah, let go. Unclench the fist, you know? We're all so freaking clenched. Me too, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this stuff, and once again, I'm me, you know? Like, I came back from this and decided to be to be me, which, why the hell did I decide that? But here I am. <laughs> Do you believe that that will be everyone's choice to make as well? Yeah, I think so. You know, I shouldn't even say yes, because there was, when I was in the middle of that experience... Um, or, or at the end of the, what I made the end of the experience, cause I got scared and, and decided, no, I don't want to, I don't want to die to this. I mean, if somebody else did, I don't know what would happen. Would they have gone farther? Would they have become something else automatically? Would they have not made that choice? I don't know. Would they have died, Jeremy? Would they have died, died? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think you're the antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> that may just be. <laughs> I don't know if I would have died. Died. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not the guy who has all the answers. I just have the quote-unquote answer of what we need to do to get to next phase of us as humans, of what it means to be a human being. I really do think I've seen that. You know, you you don't think that we would physically die if if we let go of all that. You think it would just be a different state of consciousness for us as people. Yeah, I think it's it's God self awareness or whatever word you want to use. I know that word is completely loaded, but God self awareness um, shining through God body. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, with humans, God body has the ability to create its own sense of self awareness and become its own God unto itself, which is what you and I are. Uh, and that's why we defend our beliefs and ourselves, and that's why we try to persuade people over to our points of view so that we can self fortify that. The lie that we know what the hell is going on, all that stuff, is to remain intact. Um, and the fact is, as with physical death, you have to not remain intact um, to see this, to get this. Hmm. Okay. Lane Crosby, everybody. Lane Crosby, yes. <laughs> well, we kept her for a long time, so we had our hour and 15 minutes discussion as well. Yes. Meanwhile, so last night, I get up, I go to the bathroom. Uh, Are we still on the show? Well, it doesn't have to be, but I get up and I go to the bathroom. Yeah, let's let's get, let's keep with the show here. Oh. Well, this was going to be, well, it can be in the show. I, I, just, I get up, I go to the bathroom, and I plop back down into bed, and I smash the back of my head against the wall. And I go, ah! And I'm grabbing my head, and I'm like... But meanwhile, I don't feel any pain. I'm like going through the motions of feeling pain, but I don't actually feel pain. And there's no lump there, and there's no soreness at all. But I've had this fucking splitting headache since then. And uh, and I was worried about, like, geez, I shouldn't go back to sleep, because what if I have a concussion or something? But I don't know what to make of that. I don't actually have a bruise or a sore spot or a lump. I didn't actually feel the pain of smashing into something. But I have this splitting headache. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? 
I slammed my head in a car door once. And that's and that's exactly what it felt like. I felt the pressure, but there was no pain at all. No lump, no nothing. But I got this headache right across here. Yeah. Hmm. Of course, that's the door kind of right here. I was getting in the car. I shut the door too quick. What do you want from me? Yeah, in in fairness to Jeff, he has a, a big melon. A gargantuan, gargantuan head. That's that's great, Jeremy. Like an Easter Island size head. <sighs> I like the grace. There it is. Oh, hey, Jeff. Lane Crosby, everyone. Lane Crosby. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Now that I'm hosting a radio show with a jackass, I'd just like to say um, thank you to Lane Crosby for coming on the show tonight. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm fascinated, so I want to know more. And I, I think that uh, – I don't know. I, I think we should have her back on and, and talk about some of these other things, the, the, the deeper parts of it, you know, if she's interested in doing that. So anyway, nice lady, and, uh, and we thank her again. Until next time, America. Earth, cosmos, (laughs) the end.